dun, 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 dun. That's the a country practice theme song, which oh. she's done on a piano. So I thought it might be fitting for this one. I mean, there is a pretty distinct piano in our theme tune. Like, yeah. yeah. I, I think I'm in the wrong podcast. I, I need to go and come back later, I think. <laughs> Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. Yeah. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen B. Platt. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode. This week, uh, we are celebrating International Women's Day Woo! by looking at a Hurrah. film that... Women! Yeah! Yeah! It's, it's that time of the year, that one, that one day where we go... That's a thing, and then move on. <laughs> uh, but no, we're doing the uh, usual uh, tradition around here, which is uh, just having a look at a film that either has a key uh, female story or creative team behind it. Um, doesn't mean we're not going to do it throughout the year. It just means that we definitely do it at this time. And we are watching 1993's The Piano, directed by Jane Campion. Um, I love 90s cinema. Oh. Well, luckily we have uh, two people here, someone who has seen the film before and someone who has not. And I'm pretty confident in saying that you both love 90s cinema. <laughs> Our guest who hasn't seen the film, it's Tegan Mulvaney. Hello. How are you, Tegan? Good. Um, it just occurred to me that when we were doing that in- that intro mm. and how naughty I am in the intros now that mm. maybe because this is, is this your second one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I-, I thought I should jump in feet first. I um, break all, I don't, I don't follow the rules no. anymore really when we no. do these now <laughs> Fam- famous rule breaker Tegan Mulvaney <laughs> we had rules yeah I've even we watched the film rules. no I, I didn't I promise I didn't Ooh, I didn't and I promise I promise I would never go that far yes. I would never go that yeah. far um hello everyone <laughs> um Tegan yeah uh, the piano yeah which you haven't seen no nah. um what do you know about it um I know lots of little things about it like I know the the background of it I know about I know the director Jane Campion I know yeah. Um, Holly Hunter, Anna Paquin, Harvey Keitel, all of that stuff. Mm. Um, Anna Paquin winning the Oscar, which is the cutest, most adorable, beautiful thing ever. Mm. But I was telling you before, it was... So this came out when I was... Is this 93? Yeah. Yeah, yeah so I'm like... No, I was about nine. So this is Jurassic Park time and all of these like films that I wanted to see when I was nine hmm. so when this was on at queen's park theater in Geraldton, i remember seeing the pictures up and being like boring <laughs> and then the ads would come on you'd be and you'd be like boring it's just a woman who can't talk on a stupid beach and a thing and hmm. and, and and sexual innuendo that i didn't understand then but i the undertones i understand a bit now hmm. so now that i'm more mature hmm. Sort of. Mm. I'm really excited to watch it. You are saying this sat in a pair of denim dungarees. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you do look like you've dressed like a nine-year-old, which is fantastic. Yes, I have been told I look like a nine-year-old. Yeah. But I'm wearing a yeah, shirt with rubber ducks on it. Yeah, like it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got and the Cookie Monster as, yeah. a, as a Japanese kind of go away. So, so we are the most mature of yes. people. We're drinking tea and cans of Coke. Yeah. We're, we're... I would be drinking that if I wasn't drinking tea. Mm. Uh, our guest who has seen the film, uh, welcome back to the program. It's Wade Ellis. <laughs> Thanks very much, Stephen and Tegan. Um, I, I just have to preface this by saying um, the piano, again, as you said, 1993 film. Um, males my age were all going, 
apparently in sync with Geraldton. Boring! <laughs> um, and then we found out that it accidentally had boobs in it and we could mm. literally go and see it. So, And then every guy who went and saw it went, not worth it. So, um, at your age, at, then. At, at my age, then, yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. and it's one of those films that's popped up that apparently, um, if you're in a relationship, you just have to watch it every week. Um, oh. So, apparently, that was in the 90s. Oh, okay. oh. Um, apparently, I wasn't in one. Um, so, <laughs> I don't have quantifiable information for mm. that either. But, uh, I feel so, like, you were, like you had friends in relationships and you were sitting on the side, like. <laughs> I wasn't watching the piano on the side. I wasn't watching them either, right? Just saying. Um, I'd like to also say that Wade is my boss. <laughs> yes. So this is really fun. Actually, yes, yes. <laughs> Wade and Tegan have a have a uh, professional relationship. Yeah. Which, um, so we do have a relationship. Where do we keep So that? we're two people in a relationship. It's mm. just a working relationship. So And you're watching the piano for a podcast, which is a working well, thing to watch right. it for. So we get paid for the yeah, podcast. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, we've got that on tape. He's going to edit that bit out. When did you last see this film, Wade? Um, in the 90s, oh, actually. Okay. So my memory of it is quite hazy. Um, and the worst part is, is that the most, that the clearest part that I have of the film, not the boobs, I can see you looking at me, Tegan. Um, <laughs> is, I was thinking the wang. So, mm. <laughs> no, is actually the description in coupling about this movie. Mm. Um, where they're talking uh, Jeff, one of the characters says The piano, brilliant film, loved it Because he fast forwards through all the bits that doesn't have nudity oh. So for every film He's like, five minute film, it was wonderful so <laughs> <laughs> And uh, in a vague non-spoilery sort of way What is the piano about? Because I'm presuming it's about a piano But perhaps is there more text to it or subtext? I probably should have done a little bit more research So I could have actually remembered um, (laughs) And and being put on the spot Um, Because as I said I did last see it in the 90s Which Mm. is over 25 years ago Um, Yeah, I I refuse to believe that Oh look, if if, if we're going end of 1999 It's barely 22 and a bit years old Yeah, I I was rounding up to make us feel slightly better Uh, (laughs) Uh, it didn't work. <laughs> so you can probably cover the synopsis better than I can, though, Steve. Yeah, there's so. a piano. Um, so, and, and a beach. Don't forget the beach. beach. Oh, yeah, and the beach, boobs. Yeah. So. And, yeah, piano beach boobs. And yeah. wang. Yeah, yeah. 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 Bit of, I believe it's Harvey Keitel uh, penis is, yeah. is one of the main things I know about this film. So Party. I'm going to look forward to having vodka in my Coke for that. Um, mm. so. <laughs> Excellent. Well, with all that being said, shall we watch The Piano? Yeah. Excellent. Okay, for those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and prepare to see Harvey Keitel's Pianist as we watch <laughs> The Piano. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching The Piano. I'm joined once again by my special guests, Wade Ellis. Thank you very much, Stephen. And Tegan Mulvaney. Hello. Uh, Tegan. Yeah. That was your first time watching The Piano. Yeah. What did you think? I really liked that. Yeah? I loved it. It was, it was pretty good. When it started, I went, oh, two hours, because mm. I've been watching way too much YouTube recently. <laughs> So my attention span's gone down. That it felt that flew by. It it really did for a I, film mm. that's 
not that action packed. Yeah, that's Far three enough. adults, a child, and a piano, and that's it. Yeah, that's, there's like not much else to it. It was beautiful. It was an axe. Oh, yeah, an axe. So, right. and, and look, you've got to throw props in for like the cinematography. Um, oh, I actually so thought that stunning. was not just the countryside itself. I mean, there were some great juxtapositions um, just looking at any scenes that like that the Maori people were in mm. uh, was natural. It was surrounded by nature. So you had all that beautiful sort of um, cinematography and, mm. you know, sort of things on the screen going that way. But then you got to really have that contrasted with any time you saw European settlement, which was yeah. sort of only depicted by the houses. Mm. Um, but surrounding the houses was just mud, slop the entire time. Like the trees were burnt and desecrated yeah. around them. Um, so it was really like a scar uh, on, on like the human, not just the human landscape there mm. um, in terms of the personalities and things like that. And capturing that moment in time of the crossover from traditional, traditional from the settlers and um you know the colonization of new zealand at that time where you've got you still have traditional maori ways you've got the settlers and then you've got this these in-between moments where you've got uh maori men and women dressed in full uh Get up, Victorian get up. Is it, it would be the Victor- is yeah, yeah, Victorian, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, but with face tattoos, yeah, and with, with all of and still practicing mm. um, Maori culture, it was it was gorgeous mm. for me. It really brought up some really interesting discussion um, and thought topics based around the Orientalist discourse. If you're familiar with that at all, uh, I would be happy for you to break it down for for me and for any other listeners that are not. Okay, let, let me break it down like very simply. So please don't quote me because I, I sort of haven't um, gone through and looked at it recently. I'm going to quote you. Mm. Um, so okay, so in 1964, I think it was or 68, Edward Said. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> so Edward Said produced um, a discourse um, entitled Orientalism, and the whole idea about Orientalism, um, and while I still think it can be a pro, a, like applied to sort of New Zealand, he was looking at specifically um, at the Asia region. And um, the way that they were sort of going through and class- they were trying to classify Asia mm-hmm. as sort of mystical and oriental and as the other, mm-hmm. right? Um, and what they did instead of all of that, what they're actually doing is defining yourselves. Because if you're defining something as this is not us, this is, but this is exactly what this over here is, mm. you're saying that, we're better than that. We've mm. got better, you know, economics. We've got better, um, we're better everything, mm. basically, um, like their religions and their mystical. And so, and, and that's what they're sort of doing. And I thought that that can almost be applied to what they were doing with the piano as well. Because you had, not entirely, but there were certain aspects. So, you, as you were saying about um, sort of the appropriation of the Western culture mm. uh, with the Maori people, but it also went the other way yeah, as well. Yeah. So for me, that was interesting looking at um, Sam Neill's character, who was a transplanted uh, European character, mm. which was incredibly ironic because he was New Zealander. Mm. Um, <laughs> and Harvey Keitel, who had you know face tattoos and mm. um spoke the language so we're yeah. starting to understand cultural um aspects and things like that mm. 
um, which was the American, which was very, very amusing to me. Um, but it, it shows sort of the difference in what happens when you start to study language and looking at these cultural aspects um, and looking at that snapshot in time about how people might have actually gone through that in terms of the settlers, um, yeah. what they were doing with the land, um, mm. which was interesting because we saw a little bit of what Sam Neill was doing with the land in his character. Putting fences up. But we saw nothing of what Barnes was doing. Mm. So, um, so how did he get all that information, all that land, all that everything? Mm. And yet we never saw that he was struggling for money. We never saw that he was struggling for anything. In mm. fact, he seemed to be very comfortable in his environment, very comfortable um, monetarily. Um, and even at the end, very comfortable going back to Europe even with the face tattoos and things like that, which would have set him apart and made him probably more of a curiosity too. So that was interesting too. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because I almost feel as though the, the choice was made. That this, this is a very personal story. This is, mm. this is mm. a, a very classic love triangle story. Um, and I quite like that they made the decision to keep it to the personal context. We, we, we didn't need to really know how George Baines had all of that land. As interesting as it was to be like, okay, yeah. so he's been around and he's done things. We're totally invested in his relationship to Ada and, and how that changes over the course of the film and how that is compared and contrasted to um, Alistair's. Um, Sam Neill's character, how those relationships mm. change and how they both start in really bad places because uh, obviously Alistair has essentially just gotten himself a, a male order Scottish bride basically, yeah. he's yep. never met her and he's very cold towards her and we see how that relationship deteriorates. For George his relationship starts off in a place of he, he just wants, he sees her as beautiful but he just wants to have physical interaction with her and he is you know untoward advances onto her he uses her piano which he knows is a very personal object as a bargaining chip for sex and yet from that very low starting point they build a relationship that is portrayed as positive by the end of this film which really surprises me mm. but i think maybe again it's looking at it through 2023 eyes but do you mind if I jump in there? Um, yes, because, I do. Because well, I want, just want to finish what I'm saying mm. for this. Okay. Give me just two seconds. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Because I see it as um, there's conditioning going on there. There's grooming going on there. Mm. Um, he gets the piano because he, at the start, we assume it's for sexual gratification. And then it gets to the point we don't, it felt like at one point, because we, because she, maybe because she can't speak for herself and we're only getting what we think we, we're getting from what she's thinking and mm. we can only see her, we can only get from non-verbals and she doesn't even give away very much non-verbally as mm. well. It, for me, there was a point where I went, it's when she started to feel like she loved him. Mm. I, my brain was going, does she love him or has he unintentionally conditioned her into loving him because the piano which is her only main infatuation is now associated with sexual with sexual things yeah um and and touch because he doesn't it's not he doesn't start sexual he starts with gentle touching and with uh, caressing it, mm. it's not with like uh 
Well, the initial touch is the kissing on the back of the neck, which yes. is not, not an aggressive action, but it is certainly unwarranted and That's surprising. Right. But then it moves to just that the little hole in her stocking, and yeah. then it moves to gentle touching of her legs, gentle touching of her back yeah. as she gives gets more keys, as he gives her more keys. Mm. So there's a grooming aspect to it that intrigues me because it is painted as having somewhat of a happy ending mm. there. And it made, it made me made the point where she attempted suicide and then changed her mind make sense mm. for me. Yeah. All right. That's all I wanted to say. Because that, cause I, that, I don't know if that's what they meant to do back then, but that was really interesting now to see what is this poor woman doing, going to do with her life. She can't, yeah. Yeah. For me, it came through as actually from the very first couple of lines of the film mm. uh, where it said it was talking about Ada's voice in her head. Mm. So for me, it felt like the whole film was from Ada's memory. And it's a six-year-old so voice that you're hearing. So that's, well. uh, no, not from the daughter, from... But that uh, it's, a young, it's a young girl's voice oh, yeah, 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 yeah. that you're hearing. Yeah. Um, so, but it's the way that she views everything. So that's maybe why we don't have some of that infield information because it's what sticks in the memory, mm. these important points. Um, and it's that difference between the men as mm. well. So Barnes was actively engaged with her interest and trying to engage her that way. So mm. he, don't get me wrong, I'm not, you know... Um, like agreeing with the way that it was yeah, brought yeah, about yeah. or anything like that. Um, and do you think the film could actually be sort of made today with the same sort of way that it was? I think so. Yeah, I think but, so. Yeah. but But I, I think it is interesting that there is a logic to these two guys are not necessarily great guys through behaviour that's depicted in the film. But it's there is a logic to the one who shows an interest in her interests in mm. in the piano because because alistair doesn't want the piano around he, he t- tells her to leave it behind it's impractical he basically only gets it in the house because george chooses to give it away after he has a crisis of conscience and realizes yeah. that what he is doing in exchanging these keys for sexual favors is wrong yeah and i thought i thought that was quite interesting that yeah george has this turn and I can sort of see, again, the logic of going, oh, Ada going, he gave me the piano, even though he'd set up this horrible deal, he's now given it to me. I am interested that the film chose to then make that almost like the point of her going, well, maybe he's all right. Or, yeah. or like that's where the beginning of those, mm. her, her interest in him, I guess, begins. Because I, that's maybe the thing that I think would be most different if you were writing this from scratch today is the the doing the right thing after doing the wrong thing doesn't i don't think you would get the benefits of having just done the right thing in the first place no mm. i i think potentially it might have even been written completely differently where george forms a connection with ada but instead of switching the keys for for sexual gratification does that deal of the land for the piano and gives her the piano straight away. I think yeah. maybe that's how it would be done. And then over time, they might form that relationship. He might take up the piano lessons just to be with Ada. Mm. And then over that time, you know, it's like, oh, he's not getting any better or, you know, mm. or, you know, things like that. It could have been constructed that way. 
Had it been constructed that way, though, we would have had a lot less of naked buff Harvey Keitel, Hello. which you know, there's a there's a trade off, I guess. But, and that's why I think I think that's uh, the crisis yeah. of character that he has is is super important, mm. as is his beautiful butt cheeks. But mm. um, the because I think, or maybe for him, that's at that point where he goes, "Well, does she love me, mm. or or have I just have I made?" this have i constructed this in my mind that what is real Mm. what is real right now because there's other things like who is the father of anna paquin's character yeah like the way we hear a couple of different stories about who the dad is and why she lost her voice anna paquin has her own magical story about there being fairies at the wedding and things like that so was ada ada doesn't seem like she's um she doesn't know her way around a male body. So mm. has she been assaulted in the... Is this the child? The, there was no wedlock with that child. That's what. That's part of mm. the story as well. There's a whole lot of unanswered things that m- make this... Uh, make her interactions with both of these men so fascinating mm. for me. Yeah. I also got a little bit of a... No, I'm probably going out on a limb a little bit, but um, like... Looking just at the the male characters of Barnes and Alastair, like I got a little bit of a Lord of the Rings, uh, Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Flies, um, mm. feel to it as well because we actually saw the de-evolution of Alastair's character, mm. um, yeah. and we did with Barnes, but he got to that point of introspection that you were talking about, and he went, you know what, no, mm. so and then sort of stopped and was like, you know what, yeah, is it just the place? Is it just this? You know what, I'm just going to go back to. Barnes and, and is also living in, you know, he's living Maori culture. Yeah. You mm. know, he's within a culture of respect. There's matriarchs literally lying on his on his door, sleeping in yep. his room mm. at night, supporting him, looking after him. So he is in, he is surrounded by people who understand um, mm. the power of the the power of the female. Mm. Whereas Alistair is totally well, isolated. That's it, and he's so. clearly a freaky christian who has issues with body and sexual Mm. things do you know what i what fascinated me because there was a point where i was going are they doing enough in the acting wise like Mm. if i was watching this as an actor i'm like are they doing enough and then i thought the fact that they're downplayed like if you were another movie would have a character like alistair played as a really stuffy shirted you know sweating at the sight of anything sexual kind of you know um blessing everything and and Mm. you know almost um um who are the dudes that went the puritan yeah Yeah. he's not played puritan at all no he's downplayed Mm. which makes the anna paquin's character what's her name Uh, it's flora flora yeah because she goes from saying, I'm not going to call him Papa, to calling him, him Papa. Papa. Yeah. Because he is trustworthy. There's so much in him that he's caring for them. He's trying to look after them. He's feeding mm. them. He's giving them clothes. He's, he's taking care of them. Mm. So she, there's enough in him to be paternal to this child. Mm. And yet he has these issues. Mm. And I think it, it's really important as well for then Flora giving the love note key to to Alistair because she I think her relationship with her mother Flora and Ada's relationship is really interesting because despite the fact that Flora is like a 10 year old girl she 
almost has not quite a relationship of equals, but because she has to translate so much because she understands sign language, but basically nobody else does. Yeah. Mm. She is often her mother's voice. Yeah. And particularly with Barnes, because he can't read. Yeah. So. And so it's given her this. I disagree power. about that, but please continue. Okay. Well, the, my, my reading of it is she is engaged in this interesting relationship where even though she is translating for her mother and that could very well be seen as her being subservient to the mother it's like you will translate for me and do these things i do also think it gives her an interesting perspective because she has to be a bit more savvy about communicating communicating with adults than a normal 10 year old would be which i think leads to her forming some of those judgments that she does about her mother's behavior Mm. more independently and ultimately that decision of hers to go mum no we're not allowed to talk to george i'm going to take this to to papa as i'm now calling him because he is a figure in our life that that's important and she thinks that her mum is potentially being naughty I just think that's really fascinating. And again, you wouldn't have got that had Sam Neill been playing like a, a, a pearl-clutching Puritan for yeah. the whole mm. film. Um, but you had a disagreement with um, With some of that, yeah. actually. Um, so, And just what you called her voice. I would actually call her voice the piano. Um, mm. And, and the re- there's a couple of reasons for mm. that is because that's why she had such a hard time when she was parted with it, mm. because that was her voice. That was the way she could express her emotions. She mm. could, you know, sort of portray that to anyone who wanted to take the time to listen. Mm. So when someone says, no, leave it, it's not worth it, when it's, and she's literally going, leave everything else behind and just take that then, that says an awful lot. That's yeah. the voice right there. And you notice that the notes sort of came down. Mm. So then you look at the ending of the film as well, where her voice they tip it overboard mm. and she goes with it until she goes, you know what? I don't actually need that voice anymore. Mm. Mm. So then she gets back to Europe and she's starting to develop a new voice. Would you say then that perhaps it would be more accurate to say that Flora is... The translator. Her, her words as opposed to her voice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably say more the translator because she's still giving the words. Yeah. To her, um, but you're right. So being a translator means that you need to have an innate, uh, an innate understanding of cultural meaning, mm. of literal meaning, and how to translate that effectively yeah. as well. So you do need a maturity level to go with that. Yeah. Yes, 100%. And, and, and Flora was fully embodying the emotions of what her mother was saying. Like, mm. no, dump it overboard or whatever it was. Like she was being very clear, like, no, mama said this do yeah. this like these kind they of had those beautiful moments here and there where they weren't speaking but they would tilt their head the same way yeah mm. or they would sit the same way there was some stunning little little elements to complement what you're talking about there about yeah. you know the yeah her being the advocate yeah. for her mum's mum's mm. voice that moment i i wrote down the line when she my will has chosen life was so mm. she didn't when she decided to not drown mm. she said my will has chosen life and it's she said it like a surprise mm. at the end and i thought that was such a beautiful moment where she felt emancipated mm. that's why i think i look at that's why the conditioning part of it became so um mm. so at the forefront for me i think because um when the piano lost meaning for her and became more of a sensual 
sexual meaning for her when so she didn't like playing it anymore no, after no, she did have that turmoil in that's turmoil, right yeah. she's like well i hate this now um because he's not watching me there's that moment where she's playing and she turns around no one's watching her she's been so um conditioned to play and have someone watch her or um be half naked or be smelling her clothes or be invested in her and absolutely invested in her like she is in that object Mm. that it was at that moment of my will has chosen life that's when i feel like she's gone no i'm choosing to go with this man i do love barnes i want to be alive for my child what is going to happen there Mm. these are the people this is the surroundings this is safety Mm -hmm. i really i really thought that ending was it's a very f- f- fem- this is where I, f- I think it, mm. it comes from a very feminine female perspective mm. of the objectifying of women um, and then a woman choosing what she wants in life mm. which is still at the and it's still at the um, at the mercy of the time and the patriarchy and the surrounding she's in she still has mm. little Yes, but she had, did have moments of power and things like that as well, within the bounds like, of, of that time and place as well, So, which I found interesting to include. So it would have been easy to override her with so many yeah. different things and make her a lot... Because she was a strong woman. She was a strong woman, but, yeah. she was, but her strength came from not screaming. Her strength came mm. from silence. Yeah. And I think that as an allegory is pretty intense. I just thought of that just then. Mm. I think about how many women... You know, you think of... Um, the idea of a woman being a screaming banshee and, you know, the way that women were treated back then as an hysteric hysteria and a, lunacy mm. and everything, that the whole idea comes from the idea mm. of being the female and her strength came from silence. Yeah, and you see it with how the other women who were working for uh, Alistair, how they behave and their awareness of their social conditioning and that yeah. the younger housemaid who's being taught by the older housemaid to the point where she's mimicking her voice. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Like Seeing it, exactly the same thing because yeah. you know they've had those conversations over and over mm. so she can repeat the words mm. verbatim. And it's so interesting looking at that conditioning through voice and through language, yeah. which obviously um, Ada has a very different relationship with because yeah. she is mute. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, I, I, I think I have to agree, I really enjoyed this film. I, I, I don't think a man could have made it. No, and I, I well, I think he could have made it worse. Is what? I would yeah, I don't say. think. I, I think. Yeah. I think it would have been more on the nose. Yeah, I really I, I, do. I think the fact that it's not just directed by Jane Campion, but it's written yeah. by Jane Campion as yeah. well. Like this is, it does feel as though there is a very clear and distinct female perspective yeah. that is a, the guiding hand through this story, and yeah. it's it's very good. It's just those moments. There's yeah. it, the power is in the silence when he cuts her finger off and she's lying in bed and he starts to, he's going to, he's going to rape her. Mm. And all she does is open her eyes and he hears something. Mm. She doesn't say a thing, but he, he has a crisis of conscience from her not saying a thing. Mm. There is, uh, yeah, this is, I would say this is probably. I'm not the mo- I'm not the most well versed f- um, feminist or any or anything like that. But I would. This is a feminist text that I think still speaks volumes. 
today. I think that's perfectly put. Mm. So, um, because it's restrained, it's refined, it has everything from every character and I think it's all on the table. And I, I think yeah. doing that restrained performance is a lot harder than yeah. doing a lot more. Um, and it's just a deft touch with absolutely everything, which was yeah. really impressive to watch. It's stunning. Mm. It really is stunning. Yeah. I feel like we've given this film quite a lot of respect. So can we now talk about Naked Harvey Cartel? Yeah! And Nude Holly Hunter. Oh, and right. Sam yeah, Neill Butts. Because we did talk about it a little bit at the beginning. Um, I think the reason it's so striking is because hot damn Harvey Keitel at 52 was in good shape. I need to go and work out yeah. like, after seeing that. I'm just oh. like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. no, same. And like, but the he, thing- It flooded my basement it really, just when yeah. he came up like that. It was just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, it was not not the wangs. I mean, a wang is a wang. A wang is a wang. A wang is a wang is a wang, yeah. right? But it was the... Made me feel better about the myself. The first scene where it goes up and then his butt cheeks, he's mm. got like, you could you could crack peanuts on those mm. and then it goes up and he's got that his back his oh and then mm. he turns around and he's got 50 51 year old man body mm. but he's got oh my god <laughs> oh, i was hot and then i even with the the ta- maori tattoos because mm. i i think um those tattoos are stunning mm. the traditional tattoos on a on um pacific islander mm. men are just incredible because mm. of what they like I don't know what they mean, and I know that they're wearing them with pride because they mean something. So to see yeah. them on him as well, there's something that was like, yeah. I love the restraint in the difference in tattooing as well. It was beautiful. So yeah. because obviously very very different. Yeah. But mm. someone had, and the fact that you still had like the Maori matriarchs around, yeah. they had allowed it as well. That's right. But, very he's been, nice. but he has to have a he has to have it done a specific way mm. because so there's a um. This is an Australian story, but um, not not a Maori story. But there was um, way way back when they were doing explorations of when the British were doing explorations of Queensland and mm. the upper, upper North Queensland, they um, came across um, uh, uh, traditional owners up there in the seventeen and eighteen or like early eighteen hundreds, mm. and there was two um, Dutchmen living with them so there'd been a um, a capsized dutch boat because the dutch had obviously been around for mm. coming here much longer than the english did yep um and the dutch had been living with the tribe and had all of the scarring and the tattooing and they had they'd been all um yeah they'd, they'd been accepted into the tribe and were covered in all of the markings that they were you know they were given so they were given mm. their own um spiritual names and totems and everything um it just reminded me of that because they there's documentation about how these English people saved I'm doing air quotes mm. um, these two Dutchmen who had been living perfectly happily for like ten years or something Dang. with mm. this um, with this group up north and they took them back to um, to the Netherlands and they didn't survive they were so unhappy they had just been accepted in and taken in and and um immersed in the culture because they had also been saved by these people from dying as mm. well that it reminded it, it just had these documented stories of all of this happening around yeah. probably more so in new zealand i wish i knew more about it but but because they had um stronger ties with um there was more collaboration earlier on with maori 
um, mm. with the Maori people and the and the white the whiteies that went there. That there's probably a lot more stories around that there. That it just reminded me of that one about mm. um, these these two men in Queensland. Yeah. That's amazing. Like I didn't actually know that. And my only concern would be they must have gotten so burnt. <laughs> so, yeah, because yeah, I'm like Dutchman. Yeah, yeah. that's North Queensland, not a good mix yeah, uh, for no. skincare. Um, would you like some trivia about the piano? Yes, please. Okay. How many keys does it have? Um, How many well, key- one less now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 87. Yes. So. Yeah. Uh, all of this trivia comes from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. Uh, Holly Hunter learned to play the piano when she was nine years old and played most of the piano sequences herself in this. Stunning. She, she had to. I mean, mm. you, you're seeing that from the cinematography that they... You were seeing her face and what she was doing. And her movements were just so spectacular. Mm. Same with the, the sign language too. Mm. Um, like that was entirely believable for me. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, Anna Paquin obviously won an Oscar uh, for her for Best Supporting Actress for her role as Flora. Please, everyone, watch the speech. Yeah, she's, the she's wearing the best outfit. Yep. She's got a cool hat. and she spends, She's sitting with Holly Hunter yeah. and Holly Hunter's like... Yeah, and, like just and she also it. beat Holly Hunter. She beat Holly to Hunter. An award. Yeah, because Holly Hunter was nominated for Best Actress for this film and won, but she was also nominated for Best Supporting Actress for a different film. And yeah, Anna Paquin beat Holly Hunter. Was it for Racing Arizona? I think it might have been. Yeah, I that was a glorious. Love film. that film. Yeah. That's um, glorious. But but basically, yeah, she gets up. She's very emotional for a, a good while while everyone's giving her. She's a eleven years old, and then she composes herself and just gives the best. The best example of like what a speech should be for these things, where yeah. she just thanks the people, wants to be thanked, and then leaves. And it's great. So go and watch and it. And you hear a room full of adults just, um, you know, you can hear it in the background, just this bubbling of just understanding that they're mm. watching a beautiful moment, that yeah. they're experiencing something with her eyes. And the only so thing gorgeous. it can be matched by is when... And it's done in a, re- yeah. <laughs> in a Kiwi accent yes. as well. Yes, that helped. The only thing it can be matched by is when little Brendan Fraser wins the best actor at this year's Oscars, <laughs> I presume. Um, but yes, uh, but despite receiving the Oscar at such a young age, Anna Paquin admitted when she was on David Letterman as an adult uh, around about 2009 that she had only recently watched the film for the first time that year. Um, she was not allowed to watch the film at the time it's of its release because of the sexual content. Yeah. So, yeah, she, she was like, oh, I won this Oscar. Don't know what it looked like, but yeah. woo. Uh, and then, yeah, she watched it as an adult. And then she found out what Harvey Keitel's ass and Wayne yeah. looks yeah. like. So, and was able to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, have you ever Possibly. watched the, you probably haven't, but the, the DVD of Love actually has um, DVD commentary and it's Bill Nye and <sighs> Hugh Grant. Mm. No. Yeah, Bill Nye and Hugh Grant and um, Fred, is it Freddie Highmore who's the kid in it? Oh, um, whoever. Let's say yes. Yeah, it's Freddie. Yeah. Whoever the kid, I think it's Freddie Highmore the kid. Um, and they're so they're doing it, and it's just Hugh Grant talking about how bad Colin Firth's acting is through the whole thing. But then whenever they get to the, <laughs> to the sex scenes, Bill Nye's never seen the film. That's the other best part <laughs> of it. And then whenever they get to the sex scenes, it's just Bill Nye going. Cover your eyes, Freddie. Cover, cover your eyes. Cover your eyes. When they do the, the simulated porn, like, yeah. it's, just, it's uh, it one was, of the funniest. It was Thomas Brody Sangster. Tom, that, uh, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, cover, cover your eyes, Thomas. Yeah. Thomas, look away. Look away. It's really cute. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, Jane Campion became the first woman to win the prestigious Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival with this film, mm. although she was unable to receive the award in person as she was due to give birth at the time. Mm. 
you know, she's just getting stuff done. She's, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the cinematographer, Stuart Dreiber, was the only man to receive an Oscar nomination for his work on this film. Um, all of the other seven nominations were given to women. Uh, screenwriter and director for Jane Campion, uh, producer Jan, Champ- uh, Jan Chapman, yep. uh, costume designer Janet Patterson, editor Veronica Janet, and actresses Holly Hunter and Anna Paquin. Take note, Oscars. Mm. Take uh, note, Academy. I'd also like to say he did a very fine job for someone that was not using drones. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you've got to look at it these days, It'll and they would have used like drones shots, for everything, and yeah. So no, it was some some beautiful beautiful shots. Yeah. Oh, absolutely stunning, and that the lighting first beach shot with the waves. Mm. And, oh, but the lighting when they were all in the UK originally, just, yeah, that was dark. It was depressing. It was it just hit it was me straight from there. <laughs> but then you get to the ending, and it's all sunshine and lightness and glorious loveliness, rainbows and, and lollipops. Yeah. Mm. No, and Shirley Temple was wandering yeah. past and, you know, yeah. going, get me out of England. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I in England? Oh. Um, just just confirming, uh, Stuart didn't win for Best Cinematography yeah. in, in the Academy Awards that year. Uh, the, won? It won? Well, I can tell you that this film won three Oscars. Best Actress for Holly Hunter, yep. Best Supporting Actress for Anna Paquin, yep. and Best Screenplay for Jane Campion. Right. Yeah. Um, but yes, uh, Stuart was nominated, but did not win. I wonder How who won. could you win a? Uh, I'm surprised at screenplay because there's not a lot said. I can it's tell very you clever. that at the very least for the cinematography, mm. uh, just getting to 1993. I'm not on this saying list. it's bad. I think it's beautifully oh, done. He he lost out to Schindler's List. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. 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 I guess that's fine. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Jane Campion was nominated for best. Um, director, mm-hmm. becoming only the second woman to be nominated for Best Director Academy Award after uh, Lena Wertmuller for Seven Beauties in 1975. Oh my god. Um, it was also the first time a woman had been nominated for an English language film. Um, the only other women who have been nominated for Best Director since then are Sofia Coppola for Lost in Translation in 2003, mm. Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker in 2008. Yeah. Uh, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird in 2017, mm. Chloe Zhao for Nomadland in 2021, and Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman also that year. Bigelow, Zhao, and Campion with her second nomination last year for Power of the Dog are the uh, th- only three women to have won the award as of time of recording. Mm. And two and of them were in the last two years. Well, I mean, Schindler's List probably beat her out for it did. director. It, 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 I it mean, did. Schindler's List would have beaten everyone. Out for everything, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, not unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it, but it, but it is, I think, more just a reflection of the fact that it's like, oh yeah, nineteen ninety three, sec- second woman. Hmm. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's been going since the thirty nine. Uh, no, 30 20, 29. 29. I believe. Mm. It's, oh, yeah. I believe it's yeah. So, or twenty eight even. Yeah. So. Yeah, but you know, we, we are seeing more nominations in the last. Five ten years than not other before. This year, not, we're not in the act. That's what it's the actor actors category. Yeah, stuff now. yeah. But um, yeah, no, just you know, it, it is notable for that. True. The final bit of trivia is that uh, Jane Campion originally wanted Sigourney Weaver to play the lead in this film. Um, and before we go any further, what do we think of Sigourney in that role? I love her. I love Sigourney, mm. and I think she would have done a great job. But she's isn't she six foot? Um, I I don't. Oh, no, that's have, Gina Davis. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, there's Gina Davis. Yeah. 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 No, I, I don't think she's that tall. And I think she could have done it, but I just think it would have been a shame not to see Holly Hunter do that. Um, I mean, given that she won the Oscar for it, it's hard to say that was the, the wrong choice for the role. I, she just has a meekness about her look, but then if there's Fire. something else. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if we, if Raising Arizona is another point of context, mm. her character in that mm. is kind of similar, but in a comedy vein where there's not a lot said, there's not a lot done, but it is hilarious mm. and brutally sad as well. She's yeah. a woman who wants a baby and so they steal a baby because mm. someone has quintuplets and she's like, well, they don't need five. I'll take mm. one of them. It's, it's really... And again, she doesn't, and in that one, she doesn't say much. Mm. She doesn't have many words to say. Yeah. So she's she's perfect casting. And that was, that was one of the hottest. I don't know that you don't see much sex in that scene, but Harvey mm. <laughs> Keitel and Holly Hunter, mm. that was that was hot. It was it was a, it was a really well shot, well performed it was beaut- romance scene. I mean, that's it. It yeah. was beautifully shot to just show sensuality yeah it was erotic without being yeah pornographic no it looked, no. Love, it looked yeah. loving it looked yeah. he but, looked loving again yeah. going back to what i was saying before mm. and going back to his crisis of of conscience mm. there was care in there it mm. was um it was that was fascinating to mm. to see at no point during that sequence did anyone in the room start rubbing their thighs and going, Phew. like it wasn't that kind of like thing. Well, Tegan was turned away from she, us, so she, we, we yeah, could, probably couldn't that's tell, true, let's that's be true. honest. I had my hands so, in my pocket. That's true. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah. Thank you, Alanis. Um, but yeah, it, it was a very just, I, I think maybe that's partly why, even though the relationship between George and Ada has very problematic beginnings, the, I think the film really does quite a good job of making you go but th- these two th- there is affection there there is yeah love there um you can't tell me that alistair and ada's relationship didn't start off with you know a problematic relationship either he literally bought a bride yeah, yeah. so it was a problematic there yeah. then left her sitting on the um shore side on, the, so- on yeah. the beach for however long so uh sigourney weather is six foot one by the way yeah i thought ah. she was really tall because yeah. that was that was the problem in um ghostbusters because mm. um um, Rick Moranis, Bill Murray. Oh, Bill Murray, was right? Too so. short, mm. so he had to stand on things. Mm. But yes, uh, Campion did originally want Weaver to play the role. Uh, she approached Weaver's agent, Steve Dontonville, about the project, but Weaver had previously informed her agent that she wasn't looking to take on new work for a while because she wanted to spend more time with her daughter, and so he turned down the offer without informing Weaver that an offer oh, had been made. Steve Dontonville. Yeah. Uh, instead, he asked Campion to consider another of his clients, Holly Hunter. Nice. Later, when Campion was promoting the film, she gave an interview in which she said she wanted to find a Sigourney Weaver type to play Ada. Weaver read this and was confused why she had not been asked, as she is the original Sigourney Weaver type, (laughs) to use her words. Uh, It was only then that she discovered, uh, when speaking to her agent, that he had declined uh, without telling her. Weaver said she got mad at him for this and gave him such a hard time as she would have loved to have played the character. However, Weaver also praised Hunter's performance in the role, and the two of them would later act together in the film Copycat from 1995. Oh, yeah, that's right. Harry Connick Jr. Oh, that's... 
It's such a bad film. I love it so mm. much. I liked his performance in that. That's the worst it's part. It's so over the top. I, I like that. This is the that, end so. where he's licking the envelope. He's like, ah. No. That film is terrible and That's I awesome. love it. Oh, I won't add it to the list then. No, you no, you should. Well, you can pick it when for your When you do 50th. Murder Month. Pick it for your 50th. Murder Month. Memphis <laughs> Bell. Yeah, if you've got to do a Harry movie, you've got to do Memphis Bell. Mm. Or oh, isn't he in one of the... No, that's Chris Isaac. He's in the Twin Peaks fire walk with me. Mm. Uh, so, with all that being said, it's time to score the film. Ooh. And Tegan, it was your first time watching yeah. The Piano. What score would you give it out of 10? Can't think of anything wrong with it. Yeah? I was watching it. Love it. I probably would even watch it again. Mm. Like, um, there was just this... There's something so beautifully peaceful about mm. it, even with the finger cutting and the, I don't know, it was beautiful. So I'm giving it um, 10 trunk shamings out of 10. Excellent, yes. You have shamed that trunk. I genuinely can't think of how you'd make it better. Yeah, that's fair. Um, what about yourself, Lloyd? Yeah, I was actually going to say the same thing, minus the trunks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because That was funny, though. That was funny. That was funny. But you think about it, like, um, there was... The cinematography, fabulous. The score, brilliant. Yeah. Um, Holly Hunter, probably still responsible for all that. But the performances, would I change absolutely anyone? No. Mm. Like, every, there was no cringe, there was no nothing. I enjoyed every moment of it. It's not my type of film, and yet I would happily watch that again. Also, treatment of the Maori people and culture was mm. really, um, really, was used beautifully too. The, the, yeah. There's all of those things like you're saying that could be on the nose yeah they're not they're treated with respect mm. and i bet you the film was probably another hour longer originally to fill in some of the because it, it is a little disjointed and it does jump a little bit yeah but you know what that's kind of real life as yeah. well because you don't mm. want to see people going to the toilet which was included in the film mm. and um speak but, for yourself yeah i'm sorry it was a great um, <laughs> just hold it higher yeah lift it higher <laughs> so it'll be fine um but yeah, like, for me, there were a couple of jumps and things like that, but it didn't detract from the film, and probably including those, especially when you consider it was a two-hour film for the 90s. Yeah. Mm. You don't do two-hour films in the 90s. No. People switch off. Mm. So no. um, that's like trying to create a 45-second TikTok. It's just not going to happen. No. Because um, people will get through the first 10 and go, you know what, no, nah, next one. Jurassic so, Park's on next door. We'll go watch that one. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. So... No, I'd have to go for an absolute 10 out of 10. No. You couldn't do anything less, I don't think. I'm putting the pressure on, Steve. I'm not giving it 10 out of 10. I will, I will say that because mm. I, I do think that there are a couple of elements, particularly with the editing. I feel as though yep. there are some bits which are... I don't think it's a perfect film. And I know mm -hmm. a perfect film is a really hard thing to to quantify. But it's, it's very good. Mm. Um, mm. I think, like, I, I, I would watch this again. Mm. Maybe in a week. Like I don't think I'd yeah, jump straight not back straight into away. it. No. But the performances are excellent. I think it's one of the most well cast films mm. that I've seen. Yeah. I yep. think it's one of the most well directed films that I've seen as well. Clear vision. Um yeah. And I think that it I think it is I think there's a potential to shave a couple of minutes off there, but I, I I'm not too critical of it in terms of I think it uses its time quite well. Um but you know, like like for example, 
the scene in the theatre where the Maoris believe that the shadow play is real and they oh think God, someone's going to get that. murdered. But I love that. That's the thing. Like, like that added to the film. So I think mm. that even though there were some extraneous elements in this film that weren't necessary, they were fun. And mm. they really built a sense of this world. And it was just nice because we got away from what was quite a claustrophobic love triangle. Yeah. And I think it was, it was really well done in that respect. That's what built the Orientalist discourse for me as well. Mm. So, because it showed that people are growing in different ways mm. so and it wasn't just the main characters and the leads that were growing you saw that from the maori culture and the, the best part about that was afterwards when they're introducing the maori men to the women to show them that they are alive and it is Play. trickery yeah. like it wasn't just it wasn't a joke on the maori people to say oh look how silly they are they don't mm. understand that this is a trick they then the neck with that next scene of going no this these are the people and this is how we did it mm. that they're the parts that make it the 10 out of 10 yeah. for me the joke isn't on anyone it's no. on the yeah. it's a real representation of cultures coming together at a certain time yeah it, it's a beautiful film um and i i really loved it and uh, i'm gonna give it as many fingers as Holly Hunter at the end of this film. Nine and a half out of ten. Yay! Uh, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, Tegan and Wade, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Pleasure. You're I mean, the movie hit all the right notes, didn't it? It certainly did. Right, right. Yay! Uh, and for those of you listening in, thank you for listening in. Uh, if you want to hear more episodes, more, you want more, yes, we've got them. Uh, just go over to uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, however you download episodes. Subscribe there and you'll get a new episode each and every week. We have our Oscars episode coming up soon where we're watching last year's previous winner, Coda. So more sign language, I've just realised. <laughs> um, That's to- a lot. Yeah. Shape of Water as well. I know it was a couple mm. of years ago. But yeah. That was- going to say am i going to turn it into sign language month no probably not but it's just a nice coincidence that that's coming up um we also have a patreon you, you can could find do us. it you could do one uh podcast in sign language you could and record it yeah i mean I'd, I'd that'd have, be great to listen to yeah I'd, I'd have to i'd have to get some cameras out and uh, we've already established how well dressed we are in our <laughs> dungarees duck shirts and cookie monster shirts so uh this is an excellent shirt everyone wants this shirt it's it is very good. it is very cool uh but we do have a patreon uh if you can find us there over at patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast you'll get a photo of the ducky shirt yes uh bonus goodies and extras are available there for as little as a dollar a month and finally we have a facebook page uh find us there like it and you'll get news and updates and uh nude updates of harvey Keitel. Yes. um just find us over there by searching for the cinema catch-up club in facebook but that is all for this week so until backslash ne- Keitel wang <laughs> facebook will cancel you for that <laughs> yes, just say yes. so yeah. no they, the pictures of harvey Keitel in the nude will not be on facebook but at 82 years of age Look, I'll I'll talk with Zuckerberg. We'll see what we can arrange. (laughs) But that is all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Dun, 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 dun. No. Bye. You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.